Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time I presented part two of my interview with one of the early combatants in the fight against physician-assisted suicide, Dr. William L. Toffler, family physician of Oregon, the state which first fell to the culture of death with respect to physician-assisted suicide. He has been fighting assisted suicide for nearly 30 years. Dr. Toffler is the national director of Physicians for Compassionate Care, an association of physicians and other health professionals dedicated to preserving the traditional relationship of the physician and patient as one in which the physician's primary task is to heal when possible, comfort always, and never intentionally harm. Their website is pccef.org for Physicians for Compassionate Care Educational Foundation, pccef.org. Today you'll hear part three of my interview with Dr. Toffler as he further describes how state-sanctioned medicalized suicide has corrupted the practice of medicine. Before we continue, let us pray. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer. Prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy. Prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls. Will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life? O God, you created us as free people. Everything we have is from you, O Lord. And the greatest of these gifts, besides the gift of your very self, is the gift of free will. Help us to always use that gift wisely. Help us to understand that Only by serving you and our neighbor do we use our freedom and autonomy properly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we discussed some of the many abuses that flow from the legalization of assisted suicide. Perhaps the greatest abuse is upon the medical profession itself, which indirectly places all of society at risk. The foundational ethic of medicine, contained in the Hippocratic Oath, is the title of this podcast, First, Do No Harm. 
Physician-assisted suicide is the very definition of harm. It matters not if a person has six months to live, six years to live, or six seconds to live. Physicians should never kill. Physicians should never end suffering by ending the life of a suffering person. This corruption of the medical profession will ultimately force Hippocratic doctors to violate their conscience by being coerced to comply with state-sanctioned suicide or transferring them to someone who will, which still makes them complicit. Or doctors may refuse both options and thereby subject themselves to potential lawsuit for failing to comply with state-sanctioned suicide. Ultimately, ethical doctors may not go into medicine at all. Physicians who do comply with state-sanctioned suicide are forced to lie on the death certificate. Assisted suicide laws do not allow doctors to write suicide on the death certificate as the cause of death. Rather, they must indicate the underlying disease. This is legalized fraud. And yet another example of the corruption of medicine. An ethical, valid end-of-life option is the use of hospice. However, physician-assisted suicide leads to the corruption of this as well. And as we pick up part three of my conversation with Dr. William Toffler, he talks about this very issue. Um, it's corrupted hospice, too, Mark. The yeah. Hospice used to not go into the house when this was happening because they wanted to keep their integrity. They wanted to keep their ethic clean. They didn't want anyone to confuse, conflate hospice with situational killing at the end of life. Mm -hmm. Now they go into the house. Mm -hmm. Now hospice is corrupted. Yeah. It's part of the killing action in the house when the person takes the overdose. Yeah. Usually under the guidance of one of these groups, the so-called compassionate choices, right, right. will put some volunteer there who has been given a few lessons on how to put the cocktail together and yeah, coach people yeah. and how to yeah. how to end their life. And it's, it's just chilling. I mean, I, I remember one lady that had... For years, used to work for the big paper in, in Oregon, the Oregonian the statewide newspaper. And so they did a story on this, and she held up the little deadly cocktail that she was going to drink. And I remember she had a polka party for <laughs> her friends. And then the next scene is her in the room, the bedroom, and she's about to take the deadly mixture. And the person who's closest to her is not her, her husband. It's not a friend. It is actually the legal person for the so-called compassion and choices at the wow. time. Mm. And he's there uh, saying, well, now you're sure you want to do this. Mm. And um, and she says, well, I'd really rather go on dancing. <laughs> and he says, well, well you could. Um, and and then he says, no, I've already taken the antiemetics. They have to take strong things to keep them from vomiting yeah um because it's such a caustic mixture and she's already taken it i'm gonna go ahead and do it yeah and basically she takes it and she says and i'm quoting this is the most god-awful stuff i've ever 
yeah. you know, ingested. Yeah. So the last drink of her life is the most god-awful stuff that burns your throat and your yeah. esophagus that goes down. And yeah. that's the feeling she has as she exits. She, and then she says, how am I doing? And he says, you're doing just fine. You, you, you can't drink it too fast or you'll vomit it. You mm. can't drink it too slowly or you won't take a deadly amount before mm. you fall asleep. And so you have to do it in two or three minutes, according to their protocol. And so, but think, Mark, if he had responded when she said, I'd rather go on. Dancing, yeah. What if she, what if she'd said, you know, um, you have a lot of life in you. I've come to, you know, if you want to go on dancing, I think you should, you know, as I, come exactly. to know you, yeah. I really enjoy being yeah. with you. Why don't, why don't you do that? We can always do this later. Yeah. Just, let's not do this today. Yeah. I, I think that you right. have a lot of life in you. I, I, I've liked being with you. Uh, don't do this. Yeah. Well, you know, like you were saying before, you know, there are some doctors who are just fine with being vending machines. You know, they have an agenda. They have something they want to do. And all they have to do is get the question and they'll do it rather than um, the other person you mentioned, uh, I guess was Dr. Stevens, uh, was saying was exploring, you know, and getting to her motivation and, and eventually getting that legislator to uh, change her mind about about suicide. You know? Well, exactly right. It's it's important. You know, and I, I just attended the, the Congress of Delegates uh, discussion for the American Academy of Family Physicians. I think we're almost 100,000 of us. In the, mm-hmm. in the, and I don't even recognize the people and the testimony they're giving. They were, yeah. they were trying to get rid of the Hyde Amendment. They were trying to get, against, get rid of conscious protection for doctors. Yeah. They essentially were saying... The, the patient's autonomy trumps all when it comes to yes, uh, yeah. abortion, contraception, uh, assisted suicide. Uh, you know, and it's interesting because uh, some people actually raise the question, you know, because there are a lot of doctors, including myself, that are open to the flexibility of trying things with COVID, uh, even though St. Fauci doesn't think they, they <laughs> right. have any efficacy. Yeah. And so I've had great success, just like people have great success with monoclonal antibodies. And mm-hmm. so... Um, the, the reality is that um, we try things. And so somebody brought up the concept of, well, I wouldn't want to give uh, ivermectin to somebody even if they demanded it. Yeah. And, you know, that resonated. <laughs> that yeah. was really interesting, you know, because otherwise, if it's talking about abortion, nope, you got to be a vending machine. Yeah. And, and, and let's pass these resolutions so that the entire society is against doctors being able to have conscientious practice. I thought, I can't believe. Yeah. I, I just cannot believe that my society that's supposed to be supporting yeah. me and my autonomy as a doctor right. is literally trying to pass resolutions that would put them on the side of, nope, doctors yeah. can't be doctors unless you do all these things that are legal. Right. And, you know, slavery was legal at one time, Mark. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess if it was 1865 and you and I were opposed to slavery— there be some people would say we shouldn't we shouldn't you know be doctors I yeah. guess you well know, you you you've made the point before that uh, you know people talk about patient autonomy but uh, not too many people are talking about physician autonomy and not only as it relates to assisted suicide but like you said the you can't prescribe what you think is appropriate whether it be ivermectin or monoclonal antibody for COVID it's like you know in in this state and you know it's all about control it's all about you know, the so-called authorities having a control over all these things, whether it's COVID or assisted suicide. But there was a, you know, there, there, there were supposedly monoclonal antibody facilities in Massachusetts, and you had to call some state agency to get this. 
I just read a story a couple days ago about a woman who was trying to get this for her, for her mother, I think. And, uh, and they called and they said, well, wait, we'll, you know, we'll check into it. And uh, it, ultimately, she couldn't go anywhere. And she didn't get the monoclonal antibody. And then when they wanted to try to get something like ivermectin, oh, no, we can't do that. The pharmacy says, oh, no, we won't prescribe that. And they had to kind of do an end around and go out of state before she could get, I think it was a Z-Pack and ivermectin and prednisone. And, and she did well. You know, who knows? Uh, that's anecdotal. But the point is, is that, you know, whatever happened to physician autonomy to uh, do the right thing, instead of having uh, some state society or governmental agency telling you what you can and can't do. It's very scary. It is scary, Mark, and it's deadly for the patients. I mean, I, I probably treated 100 people now with COVID uh, myself. I give ivermectin if they want to take it. I give hydroxychloroquine. I've had to scramble to find places to do it. For mm. some of the people, I actually, early on, before I found some pharmacies that weren't woke, they were awake <laughs> right. but not woke, yeah. um, now I have a regular source. I've had everybody except the morbidly obese who had heart disease and diabetes. I've had one death out of the hundred people that I've treated. Yeah. And that's about what you get. And as even liberal talk show hosts um, now recognize, Bill Maher recognized 78% of the people who are going in the hospital are obese. Yeah. So, and he, even he says, why, why aren't we focused on that group of people right. instead of treating everyone like cattle, giving shots to five-year-olds. Yeah. What, what in the world are we, what world or what planet are we living on when you think about how few people get seriously sick who are at age five? All of the people at age five who get sick have some underlying um, condition that makes them at risk. And if you want to immunize them, fine. But immunizing an otherwise healthy person in the five to 12 category, where is the data that yeah. supports that? Right. Yeah, the data is it makes a lot of money for pharmaceutical companies. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, follow the money. Yeah, I mean, right. to me, I, I think the pushing of vaccination onto kids in the hope that you're somehow going to get on top of the pandemic, when the evidence shows you clearly now, whether you're vaccinated or not, you can get uh, COVID yeah. and you can carry it and you can spread it. And mm. the least risk group are the five to 12 year olds. Yeah. And it's just mind boggling to me. And this is why physician autonomy is so critical is right. you've got the Surgeon General of the United States wanting to shut down discussion, the discussion that you and I are having. Mm -hmm. I can't believe it. Yeah. It's, it's in my lifetime as a doctor, I would never in my wildest dream think that somehow the Surgeon General of the United States would be censoring people exactly. from Stanford, yeah, from ridiculous. Johns Hopkins. Or you and me with mm. our lifetime experience as physicians. Right. It's just breathtaking. You know, I, f I first got wind of this uh, on something unrelated. I was, you know, they're really cracking down on uh, prescribing opiates. And for, you know, for good reason. But there are cases when it's appropriate to give opiates. And Absolutely. I And I was uh, uh, prescribing it for this one individual. And it uh, was not long before I retired. It was maybe two or three years before I retired maybe, you know, about five years ago. And the pharmacy called me and said, gee, I'm sorry, doctor, we can't, uh, we can't prescribe this. Uh, uh, can you, or I guess they weren't that blatant. They said, can you tell us why you're prescribing this? And, and, I, and I said, it's, it's really none of your business. You know, you're, 
Yeah. Your your job is to fill the prescription, and I suppose if I, you know, had some outrageous uh, dose or something, uh, they they might want to say something just from an ethical point of view. But it's like, well, since when are are, are you know in pharmacies or anybody really outside of doing something that's blatantly illegal infringing on on my judgment to prescribe something it's just amazing well it is it is amazing and and you you know you you use the word prescribe they are supposed to dispense yes and i i've encountered the same thing i mean when it came to the ivermectin with one of the woke pharmacies that didn't do it i said why aren't you not filling it he says well management of rite aid said not to do that i Mm. said what why are they saying that yeah. Well, the World Health Organization said not to do it, that it doesn't work. Well, I said, is that the same World Health Organization that said that China was doing a great job with COVID? <laughs> right. Is it the same one that said there's not human to human transmission of COVID? Yeah. I think yeah. that maybe I need a better source of information yeah. before I would trust the World Health Organization on the issue of COVID. Yeah. How do they respond to that? Well, you know, I, I said, and by the way, do you have any suggestions about management of COVID without going into the hospital and getting remdesivir before they go in? And, uh, of course, he said, do you know any from at the time? This was a year ago. Do you know any management strategies that the Mayo Clinic's put out? Do you know any management strategies that the CDC's put out? So there is evidence around the world. They're the frontline doctors who are mm-hmm. forming about yep. that time. And I yep. said that show that there's some good, strong anecdotal and and study research that shows this might help yeah there's no downside exactly that's why a, would we yeah. not try it yeah what's... why couldn't you have the so-called right to try that i thought exactly. was already passed by president trump yeah you yeah. certainly had the right to try with these vaccines they're experimental under you know under experimental usage yeah and and they still are yeah and, and some of the drugs that are coming out from pfizer are emergency use authorization only e- yeah. eua i guess is the acronym so why would you pick and choose which ones could be right, tried? Right, and we it, have the right to it try. It makes no sense for 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 toxic chemotherapy uh, when it's appropriate. If there's if there's no other choice, we we allow that. But a benign drug like um, ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, it's, oh no, can't prescribe that. Really. Well, and, and then I thought about. Do you recall any double blinds prospective study uh, for using penicillin in pneumococcal pneumonia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't find yeah. one. So no. how do we figure out that penicillin and, and who would hold off on giving penicillin until you're intubated on a respirator in the hospital? Right. Uh, right. You know, it it's Jim Henson of the Muppets found out the hard way. Uh, God rest his soul. That if you don't go in for a few days before your pneumococcal pneumonia, you know, uh, is a curative stage and, and it's already overwhelmed your lungs, something that's totally curable is lethal. Yeah. And so the idea of waiting, you know, one of the most effective things I've found, Mark, is that when I had nothing, I ivermectin wasn't on the radar screen with the first cases I saw, I gave them prednisone. Why did I do it? I did it as an outpatient because I knew they did it in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I made the simplistic jump that was, well, prednisone doesn't have much downside. Exactly. Um, they're using it in the hospital. Maybe if we use it early when they're just coughing as an outside, you know, outside the hospital, mm-hmm. let's try it. Right. And so sure enough, I had a great success. He was 50% better within 24 hours. Yeah. And I've been using it ever since. So, you know, I, I have a different perspective than even the frontline doctors. They, they use it as a third line agent. I use it as a first line agent. Yeah, I mean, what the heck? We 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 use it all the time for 
for asthma and and bad rashes and and there's yeah uh, poison oak yeah bad sunburn <laughs> right. I mean it's a very 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 safe drug exactly. to use and uh and, to my and knowledge I've never amazing. killed anybody with prednisone <laughs> no and 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 we know we know that one of the problems with COVID is this over exaggerated immune response that people have that is actually causing the problem your your immune system is not only attacking it it's attacking it so vigorously right. with cytokines and other kinds of vasoactive things that you end up in a very bad situation so it's yeah. it's a beautiful yeah. drug to use this concludes part 3 of my interview with Dr. William Toffler as discussed physician assisted suicide is dangerous for many reasons chief among them is that physician assisted suicide corrupts the medical profession itself, upon which we all depend. I have heard the following question posed recently. What do you get when you mix politics with medicine? Answer, politics. This is why medicine should never be mixed with politics. One can see this when one discusses COVID, for example, as you heard in the interview. The politics are obvious when one notes the different approaches from state to state. Blue states, for example, generally speaking, tend to be more restrictive with regard to COVID. The same can be said with regard to physician-assisted suicide. Generally speaking, it has been the blue states which have legalized physician-assisted suicide. A common tactic of proponents of physician-assisted suicide is the politicization of medical societies as they try to get medical societies to flip from opposition to neutrality. They argue that since many physicians in various medical societies are in favor of physician-assisted suicide, the medical societies should drop their opposition to assisted suicide and become neutral. I submit that this is blatant abandonment of Hippocratic medicine and the abandonment of patients. A brilliant article supporting this notion was penned by Dr. Daniel P. Sulmasi, M.D., Ph.D., of the Departments of Medicine and Philosophy at the Pellegrino Center for Clinical Bioethics and Kennedy Institute of Ethics at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Dr. Sulmasi, along with others, wrote the article which was published on May 2nd, 2018, in the Journal of General Internal Medicine. It was entitled, Physician-Assisted Suicide, Why Neutrality by Organized Medicine is Neither Neutral Nor Appropriate. Here is the summary of that article. It has been proposed that medical organizations adopt neutrality with respect to physician-assisted suicide. Given that the practice is legal in some jurisdictions and that membership is divided, we review developments in end-of-life care 
and the role of medical organizations with respect to the legalization of physician-assisted suicide since the 1990s. We argue that moving from opposition to neutrality is not ethically neutral, but a substantive shift from prohibited to optional. We argue that medical organizations already oppose many practices that are legal in many jurisdictions, and that unanimity among membership has not been required for any other clinical or ethical policy positions. Moreover, on an issue so central to the meaning of the medical profession, it seems important for organized medicine to take a stand. We subsequently review the arguments in favor of physician-assisted suicide, arguments from autonomy and mercy, and against the distinction between killing and allowing to die, and the arguments against legalization, the limits of autonomy, effects on the patient-physician relationship, the meaning of healing, the validity of the distinction between killing and allowing somebody to die, the social nature of suicide, the availability of alternatives, the propensity for incremental extension, and the meaning of control. We conclude that organized medicine should continue its opposition to physician-assisted suicide. Tune in next time when I will go into this article more deeply. I will also present part four of my interview with Dr. William Toffler. At that time, we will discuss the dangers of certain end-of-life documents, such as physician orders for life-sustaining treatment. Until next time, remember... We should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. First do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrollo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first do no harm.